0: From blockbuster shows at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, to our own National Gallery of Victoria, museums and art galleries have become increasingly important for exhibiting fashion. However, there is also a vibrant fashion scene within smaller, regional art galleries and museums, which often show more intimate or unconventional exhibitions. Hello and welcome to the Critical Fashion Studies podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Harriet Richards. I'm a lecturer in the School of Fashion and Textiles at RMIT University and co-founder of the Critical Fashion Studies Research Group. In this episode, I'm joined by curator Emma Bissowski from the Bendigo Art Gallery to talk about bringing fashion exhibitions to regional Victoria. Most recently, Emma curated Australiana, Designing a Nation, which is on now. The exhibition surveys Australian iconography in art and design, including, of course, fashion. Before we get started, I'd like to acknowledge that this episode was recorded on the unceded lands of the Woiwurrung and Bumwurrung language groups of the Eastern Kulin Nation, here in Nam, and on the lands of the Dja and the Dungwurrung peoples of the Kulin Nation in central Victoria, where Emma is calling in from. We pay our deep respects to First Nations Elders past and present and to any Indigenous listeners tuning in. Thank you so much for joining us today, Emma. It's just wonderful to have this opportunity to talk about fashion in the Bendigo Art Gallery. So to begin, could you tell us a little bit about the gallery and your role there?
1: Thank you, Harriet. I'm delighted to join you today. Well, Bendigo Art Gallery is 136 years old this year. We are Australia's largest regional gallery with around 5,000 works in our permanent collection and 14 beautiful gallery spaces we present our changing exhibition program in. The collection evolved from initial holdings of sort of 19th century British and European and Australian painting to later encompass decorative arts and furniture, sculpture, ceramics, and now of course, Australian art from the modern and contemporary era, and most recently a burgeoning Australian fashion collection. And so my role as curator primarily encompasses exhibition development, ranging from permanent collection changeovers to project curating, incoming touring exhibitions to developing shows like Australiana, which is certainly the role at its best. We also work to develop the permanent collection through purchased acquisitions and gifts.
0: So we'll start there with the Australiana exhibition, which is on currently, and it draws on the collections or the archives of both the Bendigo Art Gallery and the NGV, and it celebrates some of the history of art and design across Australia. So when I visited the show recently, I was really thrilled to see some of this really fantastic, iconic pieces of Australian fashion history that you're talking about. So I thought we could start right at the beginning of that exhibition. So when you enter that first hall, you encounter this incredible kangaroo skin cloak made by Jojo Warong and Yorta Yorta man, Rodney Carter, which is wrapped in an emu feather cloak made by Rodney's mother, Auntie Faye Carter. So these are a really, I think, powerful way to begin the show. They certainly were for me. So I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about these pieces and why you wanted to place them front and centre at the beginning of the exhibition.
1: Yes, you're absolutely right. It was very deliberate, and the first works the visitor encounters in the Australiana show are these kangaroo skin and emu feather cloaks, contemporary works by Rodney Carter and Auntie Fay Carter. It was of the utmost importance to us in presenting an exhibition about nationhood that the oldest artistic and cultural traditions of this continent, and more specifically of Jarra Country, where the exhibition is presented were acknowledged in a powerful way from the outset. You know, this landmass made up of 250 plus nations has been called Australia only in relatively recent history and it was important for us to set the tone right from the start. In the development of the exhibition, I rather nervously worked with Rodney and I presented my concept to him, who is a respected leader here on Jara Country. Rodney's also CEO of the Jara Corporation. He's incredibly supportive of our work at the gallery, and he happily lent these items to the exhibition, and he has also written the very moving welcome text to the exhibition. So as you notice, these cloaks are really beautiful expressions and powerful expressions of sovereignty, of identity, and kinship of the First Peoples of of central Victoria, and so they represent that living continuity of these practices and used in various ceremonies including civic ones today and hopefully visitors will also know that in the center of that first gallery which you know is an austere space of although beautiful of late Victorian era you know institutional architecture are also objects crafted by Jajarang ancestors and these are boomerangs throwing sticks woomeras coiled baskets and other items designed for hunting and and gathering food, as well as ceremony, representing again those artistic and cultural traditions that precede all others in, in the Australiana exhibition.
0: Yeah, I think that's really fantastic. And especially because, as you say, these are objects that were designed for hunting or gathering the baskets, the boomerangs. But to put them within an exhibition that's about art and about design, really positions them at a different status, I think. So it's really exciting to see them in an exhibition like that. So this first room also includes a very sweet, a blue and white silk day dress. And it's always funny when you see these historical garments and you think how tiny these people were. It was made by dressmaker Kate Ellis for Alice Creswick in the 1880s. And I think the juxtaposition of the amazing kangaroo skin and emu feather cloaks alongside this very fashionable dress made for a wealthy colonial woman, uh, again, sort of sets the scene for the exhibition. And as you're saying, you know, this colonial architecture and then these hunting objects and these design objects from Australia's first peoples, placed alongside the architecture and these colonial garments and this colonial artwork, as I say, sits the scene where we're bringing the talents and creativity of settler and First Nations artists and designers together. So maybe you could tell us a little bit more about some of those curatorial decisions that you made when putting on this exhibition, but also more broadly about some of your other curatorial practices.
1: Absolutely. And yes, there is a lot of juxtaposing in this exhibition. And I guess Curating a thematic exhibition such as this, it's a speculative process rather than some kind of encyclopedic activity and it really began in this case with the question of what may we describe as Australiana and how has this idea been expressed through history and across art forms? So, you know, of course, in those early stages, scope is decided. In other words, how much money do I have? What's my budget and what spaces are available? I was fortunate to work with First Nations curator Shanae Hobson in the early developmental period of this show. And we had many conversations around the concept and how First Nations artistic practices would be interpreted and respectfully woven throughout. In more recent months, Lorraine Brigdale has joined our team here at the gallery, so she's been able to provide some of that interpretive work into the labels and the didactics and such. And yeah, so in the development of the idea of this particular show, I had noticed that at particular points in Australia's social history and political history, there was a real uptick in creative expressions with nationalistic themes at those particular times, you know, the major anniversaries of colonisation, for example, around 1888 and 1988 as well. So, Approaching this exhibition with a chronology made sense, working with sub-themes around what was going on at those times. Of course, when the NGV came on as exhibition partner, we were able to work with their curatorial team, of which Sinead is now part, on available works and access their incredible collections. So, yeah, and I guess in regards to that wonderful uh, day dress, it does, you know, as an example, it has this wonderful layered significance, a local significance to the central Victorian town of Kreswick, And I loved that its owner, Alice Kreswick, was later an inspiration for a character in a Martin Boyd novel called The Picnic in 1937, which observed that Victorian era fad for ferns, which is also explored in that first room of the exhibition. But I guess, you know, as essentially it comes down to as curators working with historical collections and materials, we're always interpreting these objects for a wide Contemporary audience and on behalf of a public institution. So we need to be attuned to sensitive and appropriate ways of doing so.
0: Yeah, fantastic. I think it's so interesting, too, the way that you approached it as a chronological exhibition, and yet all the pieces in the galleries aren't necessarily chronological because right next to the Alice Creswick dress is a table, a beautiful table that looks quite antique in a way. It really recalls that colonial period, and yet it's a contemporary piece. So it works so beautifully to have those contemporary pieces alongside the historical pieces.
1: Yes, that was one way that we felt was an appropriate way to deal with some of the more difficult aspects of our national history. You know, where things might be observed to be omitted, for, for example, from the exhibition, we felt it was better to have those ideas represented in the exhibition by First Nations artists. So the table that you're referring to is a work by James Tyler and Rebecca Selleck, and it refers to colonisation and other, you know, uses of Australian materials. So that was a very deliberate approach.
0: Well, it worked very well as a viewer. So moving on to some more of the fashion. Uh, One of the later rooms in the show is kind of like the big fashion show. Um, And there's a number of really familiar pieces in there. There's knitted jumpers by Jenny Key. There's really iconic beautiful pieces by Melbourne designers like Prue Acton and Jenny Bannister, and then some fabulous garments by Romance Was Born. And the piece in this bright and really colourful room that I was most taken with um, was an ensemble by Linda Jackson made in 1982 in collaboration with the Utopia Women's Batik Group. And I thought, you know, this is maybe a piece that is perhaps a bit more unfamiliar to viewers um, than those really iconic pieces by Jenny Key, for instance. So I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about the Batik Group and how the collaboration with Linda came about.
1: Absolutely, and yes, that room primarily features works from the 1970s and 80s, and you could argue, you know, somewhat of a high high period of Australiana. So in the late 1970s, a group of Alia, Wara and Mathieu, Aboriginal women of the now world famous Utopia community of Central Australia, began learning Bartik, uh, the wax and dye fabric painting technique. And the women uh, amongst them was the late great painter, Emily Unaware, found very rich expression in this practice after many years' experience, of course, in in ceremonial painting. And then I think it was 1978, the Utopia Women's Batik Group was founded and their profile in the wider Australian art scene grew rapidly. And so then uh, it was in around 1982 that artist and designer, Linda Jackson, visited Utopia and she acquired a number of these batiks, which she then used to create this delicate and and layered uh, incredible ensemble, which is now in the NGV's collection.
0: Yeah, it's so beautiful. And I think it's not that in-your-face explicit Australiana like some of the other ones that really play with uh,
1: Australian fauna or flora. Absolutely. And the colours of the garment of those very rich reds of central Australia and it was very much um, that was the inspiration and the, the actual body of this work rather than sort of a overt kind of motifs and things like that that you do see in um, much of the other sort of Australian fashion of that period.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's so beautiful to me. And there's some really interesting links as well in our previous episode with Dr. Sally Gray, where she was talking a lot about Clarence Chai and some of these designers in the 70s and 80s. So there's some really lovely threads, I think, that link the episode with Sally and then this conversation with you. And then in our next episode, we're going to be talking to Nick Henderson from the Australian Queer Archive. So it was exciting to see some of these other pieces in the gallery as well.
1: Yeah Sally's done some great work around Australiana and fashion in that period and I loved talking to her about this and um, you know it was such a vital time it was just so fantastic that 1970s 80s period and you know effect of the Whitlam era arts funding just you know went right through um, all those different areas of artistic practice and had such a big impact on the culture here.
0: Yeah absolutely and then you go into that final room, which is really about First Nations fashion and, and where we're at in this contemporary moment. And in there, there's a display, quite a striking display of three ball gowns by First Nations designer Paul McCann, which have been recently acquired by the gallery. So maybe could you tell us a little bit about those gowns and Paul's approach to what he calls, and I think this is such a fabulous term, bling, bling, original design. <laughs>
1: Yes, we've loved working with Paul. And I guess that very opulent ball gown has been become somewhat of a signature of his design approach in which he incorporates hand-painted fabric with his own personal connection to country design into these garments that are really are very indebted to a Western style of dressmaking and that sort of Dior kind of silhouette. Paul is a Mauricio man, he's a self-taught designer who takes inspiration from his grandmother, whose name was Elizabeth, to create this style of dress and he talks about how she grew up in the 1950s making her own dresses. So the three works that you see in the exhibition and they're called Saltwater Crocodile Gown, Pink Water Lily Gown and White Ochre Gown were all made in 2022. They're created from organza, satin, tulle and with plenty of rhinestones and sequins to boot (laughs) and they're incredible. The, The saltwater crocodile gown in particular really riffs off that Australiana idea as it incorporates this spectacular crocodile motif which the designer repurposed from a kitsch souvenir tea towel and that he then embellished with pearls. And what's interesting as well about these three works is that they were featured in Australian Vogue in May last year in a dedicated issue to First Nations fashion design. So it was this really sort of landmark edition of that publication. And so we were really thrilled to be able to acquire them for our collection.
0: Yeah, I think the green gum nut gown was so widely photographed from Australian Fashion Week last year. I think that kind of leads nicely into my next question, which again brings up the work of Sinead Hobson, who you mentioned a minute ago. So... Back in 2020, Bendigo Art Gallery hosted Pin Peak Contemporary Australian Fashion, which was the first major survey of contemporary Indigenous fashion in Australia, and really, I think, marked a bit of a turning point in the exhibition of First Nations fashion. So I was thinking a bit when I was coming up with the idea for this conversation with you about the role of regional galleries like Bendigo and sort of breaking new ground with fashion exhibitions. And I wondered if you might have some thoughts on what it is about regional galleries like Bendigo that make them particularly ripe for this sort of cutting edge show.
1: Well, I think, you know, Bendigo Art Gallery exists as as part of a constellation of fantastic galleries and, and regional galleries in this state. We're an easy day trip from Melbourne. The National Gallery of Victoria are a great friend and supporter of our work and our exhibitions, and I guess each gallery within that network has its own flavour and its own strengths and its own focus for its programming. So, you know, under our terrific current director, Jess Bridgefoot, we are building upon the great groundwork that was done by our former director, Karen Quinlan, who had a curatorial background in fashion and really established a firm audience for us here with these great fashion and costume exhibitions, which began back in 2008 with Golden Age of Couture, which people still remember. And this came from the V&A in London. So, You know, from that point, it's recognised we have this world-class facility, we've got this proven ability to present exhibitions to international museum standards. And, you know, I think fashion is increasingly recognised as a vital and accessible and important part of visual culture. You know, it's become a particularly successful aspect of our exhibition programming, somewhat synonymous with Bendigo's brand, and now it's part of our collecting focus as well, so I guess, you know, as, as a curator, I view fashion design as any other item in our collection, a painting, decorative arts or ceramics. And I like to think about how the fashion object might illuminate an idea when juxtaposed with other works of art. And as I said, the NGV is just really supportive of what we do and it all works as a, as a sort of a network. So we're really happy to be working in that fashion space and our audiences really respond to it as well.
0: Yeah, and I guess that's something else as well, because I know you were involved a a couple of years ago in the curation of the Mary Quant uh, Fashion Revolutionary Exhibition, which travelled to Bendigo. That was another one that came from the V&A in London. Um, And it was really a celebration of Quant's work, obviously, as a pioneer of 60s mod and youth culture. And so perhaps you could talk to us about why you think these fashion exhibitions resonate with your audience.
1: Well, that that exhibition was such a joy to do. And I was lucky in to go and see the London iteration of that show in 2019 before the horrors of 2020 when everything got closed down for a while. But, um, you know, I recall seeing Mary Quant Cosmetics advertised in Dolly magazine back in the 90s and, you know, when the opportunity came up for Bendigo to perhaps take this as a touring exhibition, I knew, you know, this would resonate with our audience's here in Australia too. You know, using Quant as as an example, her garments were very popular in Australia. They were sold in Bendigo, you know, and the Quant story is about universal sort of themes, you know, that incredible societal change in the 1960s, the very fun innovations in fashion and women's liberation. So I think that women are a very key audience for art galleries. These sorts of themes naturally tap into the converted to some extent. So, we're providing something here that there's a real interest in and relevance for. Mm.
0: Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. You know, these fashion exhibitions, they're not just about beautiful garments, they're about history, they're about politics, they're about, you know, social movements, cultural change. And that was certainly the case in the Australiana exhibition, too.
1: I think so. And, you know, art and fashion, it's always created within a particular milieu at a particular time. And at its best, it is representing particular ideas about our culture and our values. So if we can describe that sort of thing through an exhibition and through using the the gallery as a platform for those types of ideas for discussion, then, you know, we're, we're doing a good job.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So just as we come to the end of this conversation, this season of the podcast is really all about celebrating the fashion community in Victoria. So in your years of working in the industry, I wonder what do you think it is that inspires you and what makes Bendigo and the Chaja country a vibrant, creative place to live and work?
1: Well, I feel very lucky. I love my job. I love thinking about art and interpreting it and drawing out the stories within it. The idea that something can be told in a new way, that joy of creating wonder in a space, in an exhibition. I love thinking about the visitor journey through a space and the way they will encounter the works and in which order. And, you know, sharing amazing objects with people, that really inspires me so, you know, and as for where we live, I love that the arts are valued here, that the great traditions here and the many creative people who live here and, you know, there's Bendigo Art Gallery and Castlemaine Art Museum as well. They're both really wonderful galleries to visit for different reasons.
0: Yeah, I think that point about value is a really important one and paying attention to the importance of art and creativity in our everyday lives as well. And so being able to share that is incredibly special. So thank you for what you do as well, bringing these exhibitions to us. And finally, what can we look forward to seeing at Bendigo Art Gallery in the future? I know this is often under lock and key, but are there any things that you can tell us to keep our eyes peeled for?
1: Yes. Well, we have the Australian Women's Weekly Exhibition: 90 Years of an Icon, which will include some fashion. So a number of amazing items, including an Aurelio Costarella gown that was worn by Crown Princess Mary of Denmark and an incredible Tony Mataczewski gown worn by Maggie Beer, amongst other things, and, uh, of course, a big celebration of that particular birthday cake book that many are familiar with. <laughs> I'm personally working on a big collection exhibition coming up after Australiana to showcase the best of our contemporary art collection and we certainly have more exciting things in the pipeline that are not announced yet, Um, a stunning international exhibition for next year, early next year, and some great First Nations projects and other exhibitions with some great local artists as well.
0: Thank you so much, Emma, for joining us today and sharing these stories about fashion exhibitions in Bendigo. To all our listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you're interested in the Australiana exhibition, it's on at the Bendigo Art Gallery until the 25th of June. You can also visit the gallery website for more information and details. We'll include all the links in our show notes. If you're loving this season of the Critical Fashion Studies podcast, I invite you to join us for the next episode, when we'll be talking to Nick Henderson from the Australian Beer Archives. I also encourage you to subscribe to the series in your podcast app, so you never miss an episode. As ever, a big thank you to Creative Victoria for their generous support, Thomas Phillips for audio engineering and co-production, Sanam Goodman for social media expertise, and Hugh Caldwell-Ross for our logo. See you next time!